It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Our first with the season getting underway, our, our opening week Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis, as usual, and Sam Dykstra, uh, not as usual. We, we uh, welcome Sam into the show. Jonathan is not with us this week, so Sam will be uh, ably filling his shoes. Um, guys, opening day. Uh, it, it seems like, you know, we, we had opening day last year, obviously, but it was such a weird scenario. It, it just seems like it's been so long since we've had like this anticipation of a, a regular opening day. Are you guys excited? Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it does seem like more exciting than usual just because we, you know, last year was so strange and even by the time it rolled around, you know, it was <laughs> it was much later than than anticipated. So it's it, it's just it's nice getting you know back you know to normalcy and having opening day and you know this time last year the college season had ended abruptly and we were sitting here wondering like, geez, what are we going to do for covering the draft because nobody's playing games? So it's uh, it, it's good to be back to normal. Yeah, and. and- just like Jim was saying, like thinking where we were last year, April didn't feel like April. Uh, and now it really can. I mean, we're starting right here on April 1st. Um, this is what spring should feel like. We should be talking about, uh, you know, who's going to win the World Series and everybody getting a chance on, on the opening day of the year. Um, that's what makes opening day so romantic. And it, it, it was great that we had one last year and one existed, but it, it just felt off. And now it gets to feel real again. And it's just another step on on the course to what we hope is actual real normal uh, here right around the corner. And part of that excitement, uh, especially for us, is to keep an eye on all the prospects who will be making opening day rosters. We're going to talk about that, break down some of the top prospects who are on opening day rosters, guys in uh, position battles, guys who are going to be making their major league debuts. We're also going to take a look at our rookie power rankings, which we Started to do last year kind of out of necessity without a minor league season. Uh, we, for the first time, did a rookie power rankings. We're doing that again this year, and we've put together a preseason list, which we'll go over. For guys who don't make the opening day roster, we're going to look ahead and talk about when we will see some of the top prospects who are not going to uh, be on rosters to start the season, but we expect to see at some point in 2021. Sam has put together some farm system rankings based on hitters, pitchers, and 21 and under talent or under 21 talent. Um, He'll break those down for us. And then we'll have a draft update, which, yes, once again, we'll focus on Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter. And then we will wrap up, as always, by answering a question in the mailbag. Uh, So, guys, uh, in terms of prospects on opening day rosters, um, this is – one of my favorite parts of the year, I would say every year, is seeing all these young players making rosters for the first time. 
uh, guys playing in the big leagues for the first time. And uh, as we're recording this, not all the rosters are set yet, so there's a lot to be determined. But looking back over the past few years, I, I normally I would pop quiz you here, but Danny, I, I can't, I can't stand to be heckled by Danny. Uh, Danny hates the pop quizzes, so I, I will simply tell you how many how many top 100 prospects have been on opening day rosters over the past few years. Now you know what. Pop quiz. Pipeline podcast pop quiz, just to spite Danny. How many top 100 prospects were on opening day rosters last year? And they were expanded rosters, too. Um, I'm going to say... uh, I have no idea. I'll say 28 is the first number that popped in my head. So this is... We're just on the roster, not making their debut, right? Just on the roster. Correct. Just on the roster, top 100 prospects. I'll go... I'll take the slight under. I'll go 23. Actually, uh, Jim went big there. Jim, Jim was way over. Uh, the number was 11, which is actually, which which is, it's been uh, kind of remarkably consistent over the past few years. In 2019, there were 12. 2018, there were 12. 2017, there were 13. And then going back to 2016, there were only four. Uh, but for the past four years, been uh, right at 12 as the average. And uh, we'll, we'll see what happens when all of the... Uh, all of the rosters are set this year. As far as top 30 prospects go, uh, team top 30 prospects, last year we had a huge number. There were 80 in all. And, of course, last year was unusual in a lot of ways, and um, that was one way. Uh, The year prior to that, there were only 44. In 2018, there were 49. In 2017, there were 68. Um, But, yeah, last year with 80, I'm guessing we will not get close to that this year. But there are... uh, a lot of guys who are going to make rosters, some of them surprises. Um, I think some of the guys who fall under that category, Tusapito Marcano of the Padres, Taylor Trammell of the uh, Seattle Mariners, Jazz Chisholm, maybe not a surprise that he made the roster, but the fact that he uh, won the starting second base job. Uh, another starting second base job that probably didn't see coming um uh, I don't know, six months ago, uh, Jonathan India, and then Chris Rodriguez, another surprise. Sam, I know you added Chris Rodriguez to this list when we were talking about this. Yeah, no, Chris Rodriguez was was a big surprise to me. Um, he's somebody who was just added to the 40-man. He was up against Rule 5. I, I know the Angels were, were very pleased um, with how he did last year at the alt site, but he was coming off major back injuries. Uh, you know, looking back at his 2018, 2019, he'd thrown only nine and a third innings uh, at what is now high A Inland Empire uh, coming into this spring. I mean, yeah, he threw at the all side, but actual game action since 2018, only nine and a third innings. Um, so even though he was on the 40 man roster, seemed like the longest of shots, showed the same stuff he did at the all site, uh, showed good control, only walked one batter across eight appearances, uh, struck out 10 in, in eight innings, you know, to, it, I, I talked to him, I think it was over the off season. And, you know, he said at one point it felt like he was pitching with a broken back and to come back like he did is tremendous. I thought they were going to try to get more innings out of him. Um, you know, he's somebody who had it, a starting pitcher projection ever since, you know, he first entered pro ball. So he's going to be eased in here through the bullpen, but 
never mind not seeing double A AA or triple A, but the fact that he just had such limited experience and such an injury history and the Angels trusted what they saw last year and what was otherwise a lost year, trust what they saw uh, this year at spring training and are giving him the chance is really exciting. Now, what he's going to do with that is going to be interesting. Uh, it's one thing to pitch in the spring. Let's see what happens when you face major leaguers two, three, four times a week. Um, but for Chris Rodriguez to make it at this point, uh, given his experience level, was one of the most pleasant surprises by far of the spring for me. Yeah, two of the bigger surprises for me were Marcano and uh, India. You know, Marcano has been, well, he was a sleeper, kind of a sleeper Padres prospect until they traded so many prospects. And now he's, he's jumped all the way up to number six on our, our Padres list. And, you know, that, that one's a little curious because the last time he played in actual games was in, in 2019 in low class A. And he had a decent year, not much power in in the Midwest League, which is a pitcher's league. Um, you know, I think he's you know a guy who projects as a big league regular down the road. Uh, you know, they, it's no secret. Look, the Padres are in it to win everything this year, and they're going to put their best team out there. And they, they've had some injuries to to Nola and Grisham this year, so they, they've got you know a spot on their bench. And, and Marcano has some versatility. I, I, my guess is he won't stay in the big leagues very long. Once those guys are healthy, he'll probably be the first guy who goes down to make room. But it's just interesting because I, I would not have had him. He, he would have been well down my list of, of of prospects I would have thought would make an opening day roster. And then the, you know, the Jonathan Indy one is real interesting because his career has been so hard to figure out. You know, he was a guy who, you know, had, you know, first two years of Florida were, were just kind of okay. And then he had a great junior year and he goes fifth in the draft in 2018. And then in pro ball, he's been pretty underwhelming. Um, you know, when I saw him, last time I saw him was in Arizona Fall League in 2019, and he was terrible. I, I saw him like in a one for 34 stretch. He played a little bit better after I left, um, but did not impress people in the Arizona Fall League. And the Reds had kind of this, <laughs> I don't think anybody quite cut, kind of figured out what they were going to do at shortstop, including the Reds. You know, at one point, Kyle Farmer, who's kind of a, versatile catcher who can play, you know, third base and, you know, maybe some second looks like he might be the shortstop, which seemed like an odd choice. They've moved Eugenio Suarez over to short, uh, Mike Moustakis from second over to third, India to second. Um, you know, we'll see. I, 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 I'm really curious to see how he does because he has not had much sustained success in pro ball. And, and I just find it even more curious because, the Padres, I can understand what they're doing with Marcano. They're trying to win. Every game matters. He's versatile. You know, they've had some injuries. I don't see the Reds. Do, do you guys see – do we see the Reds really contending this year? Um, do you guys? I, I don't. I mean, I think the NL Central is going to be more wide open than ever. I mean, looking at projections across the NL Central, like there might not be a 90-win team in that division. So – if you're the Reds and, and you do believe in Jonathan India uh, and, you, you know, you think he's the best option, you might as well push him on opening day. If, if you're going to squeeze out a couple extra wins, like, I don't know if he's that guy. That's everything you said, Jim, like going back to his time in the AFL, we just really had never seen him dominate the minors. You, the way you would expect a top pick like him to do, but I don't know if you're, if you're the Reds, I mean, you need to squeeze out wins however you can. And if, if putting India in that spot is going to do it. It's at least going to keep them competitive. That's for sure. Yeah, it'll be interesting. But it's, it's like to me, they're the fourth or fifth best team in that division. And I don't know. I mean, 
If it were me, I mean, this might be their their best infield because they didn't leave themselves with better options. But it's just so curious to me. And I I still – I look at the Reds and I look at their center fielder, Nick Senzel, who, as we remember, he was number two pick in the draft in 16. And and I don't know if you guys remember this because Suarez broke out. There was a while where they were grooming Senzel to be their shortstop. And I know he's been hurt. I I don't think they've done his career any favors by bouncing him all over the place. And he's had to learn center field on the fly in the big leagues. Uh, I just – the Jonathan Indian thing just makes me shake my head a little bit because I I just – it seems like they're – constantly just shuffling guys around from position to position as if you can just do that on the fly. And I, I'm not really sure what, what, what the, the long-term strategy is there, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see. It's, you know, I mean, it could be if, if guys stay healthy and play their capability, they could have a pretty good lineup and, and we'll see how the pitching comes together. So these are some of the bigger surprises that we're seeing on, uh, prospects on opening day rosters. Several of these guys will be making their big league debuts, Marcano, Tram, Tramel, India. Uh, another guy that, you know, I don't know that it's a surprise that he made the roster roster necessarily. Um, and he will be making his debut, in a sense, his regular season debut. Um, Ryan Weathers, an interesting situation. Saw him in the postseason. Um, and now we will get to see him in the regular season. And that looks like, that's going to be an interesting situation for him as uh, he could pitch in a, a variety of roles out of the bullpen, potentially get some starts uh, as the Padres have a busy schedule to start the season. Where do, where do we see, where, where do you see him both this year and, and, and long-term? I mean, for, for me, long-term, he's still a starter. Um, I, I think this is very much just throwing somebody who you think has the best stuff. I mean, again, we, Everybody talked about this last year when it was interesting that Weathers leaped over Mackenzie Gore uh, to become that guy in the postseason. Um, but Weathers was pumping extra velocity. He's carried that uh, so far to this spring, to his credit. Um, you know, he's he's still hitting 97 this spring, which is huge for him because I, I remember his first year at Class A Fort Wayne, the, the velocity was down a little bit as he was trying to build up. It's great that it's here now. Um, I think there's still a starters package there, and you know he can potentially fill a role. I, I know Baez for the Padres um, could potentially miss some time here coming up as well. So, you know, the I think he will eventually be a starter. But the fact that they like him enough to be in this role, get him experience at the major leagues, um, you know, he's already seen it as competitive as it gets in the postseason. Um, but I, I think he could eventually be a number three, number four star. I, I, you know, Gore's ceiling is much higher because his package of pitches is deeper. Um, his stuff across the board that has more plus pitches. Um, but Weathers right now can be a bullpen arm. And, and if you're the Padres, again, you're going to be neck and neck with the Dodgers potentially all year. Um, why not have your best arms in the bullpen? And if Weathers ends up getting starts by July, August, September, all the better. And maybe this is a way of monitoring his innings as well. But uh, definitely reliever for now. Can definitely see him getting starting uh, starting options, I guess, by the end of the year. Yeah, I agree with you on that, Sam. Because, you know, when he was the seventh overall pick out of high school, he was more, I mean, it wasn't bad stuff. But, I mean, I think the polish stood out more than pure stuff. You know, he wasn't touching 97 you know, at that point. Um, and, it, you know, like you said, I, I agree. I, I think he can be a starter long-term. I think Gore, 
is going to be more, you know, obviously a starter in the short term. And they didn't want to get him off the track of if you put him in the bullpen, then you got to stretch him back out before you can start him. Whereas with Weathers, you can, you know, see how this works. And if you wind up, I mean, he hasn't pitched, you know, outside the playoffs above low class A. If you wind up sending him to double A, uh, you know, when the season starts, the minor league season starts to develop as a starter, you can do that too. And one thing we, we may see, you know, not, not so much with contenders like the Padres, but you may see teams keep guys up in the big leagues for developmental purposes early because the minor league season isn't starting until May and it's going to be shorter than usual. So, you know, even if, you know, Weathers pitches in relief for a month and then some other pitchers come back healthy and he goes to double A, um, you know, th- that's fine for his development. A few other guys who we'll see making their big league debuts, rule five picks, uh, Akil Badu uh, with the Tigers, who has been absolutely terrific in spring training. Uh, looks like he's certainly going to stick at least in the short term. Garrett Whitlock, uh, Red Sox pick from the Yankees, and Paul Campbell. Uh, just a few names of some uh, guys that uh, we should be seeing make their debuts after making the opening day roster this year. And then there's some, you know, as again, as we're recording, there's some position battles still going on that are pretty interesting f- from uh, our perspective because they involve prospects in uh, Oakland with Dalton Jeffries and A.J. Puck both battling for rotation spot there. And then Miami with Trevor Rogers and Nick Knighter. Guys, your uh, your take on, on those particular battles? I feel like, I mean, I understand you want to try to maximize the guy's role. I, I just don't. As much as I like AJ Puck's arm, I, you know, I, I just don't see the track record of command or health to where you think he's going to hold up as a starter. Um, you know, I mean, look, Dalton Jeffries is coming back from injuries too. He had Tommy John surgery that, you know, cost him almost two years after the, the A's drafted him. But I mean, Puck, you know, was the sixth overall pick in 2016. It seems like he's been hurt off and on almost ever since. And he pitched 125 innings in 2017. And the whole rest of his career, he's pitched 69 innings over, I guess it's three seasons, four seasons. Um, so I, I just, to me, you know, there, there were questions about Puck, you know, in, in command before he, you know, even when he went sixth overall in the draft. I, to me, I think Jeffries is, I mean, not based on, you know, purely the spring, but just long-term, I just see Jeffries as a much more viable starter than A.J. Puck. I think A.J. Puck can be a great weapon in the bullpen, and and that would be the better way to use it. Yeah, and if we're talking about, like, right now, who are you going to use as a starter? I mean, Puck coming off those shoulder issues, seems like he was still getting built up. Jeffries, just the other day, threw five innings in a start, held up pretty well. He seems pretty well-progressed. If you're throwing puck out there and being like, hey, you are a starter, go pitch starters innings, that's going to be a lot to ask out of him. I think if I were the A's, I would prefer him to continue getting built up at the alt site and maybe become an option in later April or early May. Um, but he needs all the experience he can get to to really go out there and be a starter again. Um, and, and even then, as Jim said, like we still don't know if that's even who he is at this like long-term, if that's what he's going to end up being. Um, so I, I would go Jeffries out of the shoot, keep puck back, get him worked up, um, get into a place where potentially he could throw five or six innings. 
uh, and then make another decision come later, you know, the, the end of the first month. And then in Miami, Trevor Rogers, uh, Marlins number seven prospect, and Nick Neidert, who is the Marlins number 12 prospect, uh, Neidert a second rounder back in 2015 by the Mariners, and Trevor Rogers, of course, a first rounder, uh, 13th overall pick in 2017. I feel like, I feel like Neidert, you know, I feel like he's been around forever, <laughs> even though he's just drafted in 2015. But uh, your, your take on this particular uh, position battle. Well, I do the Marlins. I mean, I think they're both starters long-term. Um, you know, Rogers, you know, was a guy the Marlins took in the first round. They, they waited a while to make his debut. He, he's throwing a little bit harder now. Um, you know, he, he, the big concern with him has always been field to spin. He's, he's never had great field to spin. He's got kind of this, this slider cutter that's still kind of fringy, but it's better than the curveball he had. Um, you know, he, he made seven starts for him last year. And, you know, Neidert was a guy who had kind of consistent success, you know, first in the Mariners organization and the Marlins organization. And then the last couple of years, he's had some kind of bad luck health-wise. He, he tore the meniscus in his knee in 2019, which kind of, you know, marred his, his season and kept him out for a while, but he looked really good in the fall league. And then last year he came back, made his big league debut in July and then spit six weeks on the injured list for COVID related reasons. Um, and so he didn't get to pitch a lot then either. Um, I feel like, you know, Rogers is left-handed and has a little bit better stuff. I, I mean, the changeup is probably the best pitch for both guys. Um, and I feel like Nider has got, you know, more polish and command and a little deeper repertoire, you know, better, a little better breaking ball, not significantly better. So, um, you know, I think they're both guys who, who you kind of project as, you know, number four or five starters, you know, in, in the long run. And, you know, if one of them struggles, the other guy could, could get an opportunity pretty quick. Yeah, for me, I, I mean, I, I would, would have uh, leaned towards Rogers probably anyways, just because of, of what he was able to do in the majors. I know the numbers weren't great, but he was getting a decent amount of swing and miss. And that that's continued this spring as well. I mean, he's got 29 strikeouts, 19 innings. I'm not pouring too much uh, import into spring training numbers, obviously. But if you're looking at who has some momentum here, who whose stuff is playing the most right now, I think that is Rogers. Um, and as Jim mentioned, being left-handed is certainly an advantage in, in his case, getting that major league experience last year uh, and getting important starts. I mean, we can't rule that out either. Like this was a team that was competing for a playoff spot. And when he was called up, it was because they actually wanted to, to make the postseason and every start he made was important. So slotting him back into that rotation, I don't think uh, – is should be too much of a question mark, but I understand Nick Nider, like oh, a little more minor league experience, really, even with the injuries. Uh, but right now, it, it's Rogers over Nider. All right, we've been talking about some surprises in terms of prospects making opening day rosters, some players who are going to be making their big league debuts. When we come back, we're going to look at some guys who were locks to make opening day rosters as we look at our preseason rookie power rankings that's coming up next on the mlb pipeline podcast talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like i lost my mojo or we avoid it altogether with excuses like i had a long day at work or sorry honey i'm just not feeling it but with roman it is easy to talk about 
with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. The healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com MLB and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com MLB today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. Roman is the official partner of Major League Baseball. That's GetRoman.com MLB. GetRoman.com slash MLB. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Sam Dykstra. Jim, Sam, and Jonathan have put together our preseason rookie power rankings. Um, we did this last year. Um, basically the way it works is we're just looking at rookies in the big leagues and we are ranking them at the time based on their performance. It's kind of a running uh, calculation of our who we think is uh, ahead in the race for the rookie of the year awards. So we, we didn't do a preseason list last year, but we have done one this year. And uh, I think probably to, no one's surprise at the top of the list, Cabrian Hayes of the Pirates and Randy Arozarena of the Rays, number one and two, both of whom exploded onto the scene last year, have a, a good amount, a, a very good amount of big league time already, have proven themselves in, in a short sample size, but uh, have proven that they can do it at the big league level. And they are the front runners for the National League and American League Rookie of the Year awards this year. Uh, the remainder of the list goes like this. Number three is Andrew Vaughn of the White Sox. Number four is Ian Anderson of the Braves. Number five, Dylan Carlson of the Cardinals. Number six, Sixto Sanchez of the Marlins. Number seven, Bobby Dahlbeck of the Red Sox. Number eight, Ryan Mountcastle of the Orioles. Number nine, Nick Madrigal of the White Sox. And number 10, Christian Pache of the Braves. And guys, you know, one notable thing here um, that kind of jumps out is that of the 10 players on this list, the only one not on an opening day roster will be Sixto Sanchez of the Marlins. Yeah. And, you know, as we were putting together this list um, and sending our list back and forth, news broke out that Sixto Sanchez is going to open up at the Marlins alt site. Um, we decided to keep him on mostly because the Marlins, the way their season opens, they won't need a fifth starter for a little while. Six zero, they're still building up for him. It sounds like he could be on a bit of an innings limit this year, but we saw how the stuff played last year, uh, you know, for the Marlins, both in the majors and in the postseason as well. Uh, he was working his way up. His last outing, he threw three and a third innings. Um, so they're going to continue to get him extended. I fully expect him to be up you know, by mid or, or late April, um, and then still get, you know, a starter's workload from there, even if they are limiting him. So you look at the rest of the list and, and 
Jim can touch on this here in a second, but uh, it, you know, it's all position players behind him, at least in the top 10. Uh, but given the stuff, I mean, it's going to be, you know, ace level stuff basically right away in the majors. And I, I would much rather bet on that than some of the guys below him who have, uh, you know, some obvious flaws. So yes, six O Sanchez going to open the year at the alternate training site. I would even be surprised if he makes a start in the minor leagues um, when they start up on May 4th. But for that reason, the fact that we expect him to be upright fairly quickly uh, is a big reason why he's still here at number six. And, and, you know, it it maybe had he opened the year in the majors, maybe he could have, you know, leapfrogged over Dylan Carlson. That would have been a fun debate, but putting him here at six still feels right. Even where he's starting out the year. And Jim, uh, another thing that, stands out about the list is that just about everyone on the list has already been in the big leagues. I believe what everyone, all but one player. Um, And several of them, you know, have have had success early on at the big league level. And a couple of guys toward the bottom of the list, uh, even though they were, uh, you know, a couple of guys who contended for rookie of the year, even last year, or certainly with Ryan Mountcastle and also, Nick Madrigal with a good showing in his uh, debut in the big leagues. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I know when we've done various rookie things uh, this offseason, I keep thinking, and our list reflects this, that the National League rookie crop is deeper or at least has more prime candidates to win the Rookie of the Year award than the American League crop. But you look at 789 on the list, and it's all American League hitters who performed well in the majors last year and have performed well this spring. You know, Bobby Dahlbeck, who's always had a ton of power that continued in the big leagues. He homered eight times in 80 at-bats last September. Um, the last I checked, I don't know if this is still current, he was leading all American League players in homers this spring with seven. Um, and he looks like he's going to play pretty regularly at first base. You know, Mountcastle actually got a Rookie of the Year vote last year, had an ops of nearly 900, uh, showed more plate discipline and looked better in left field than I think people expected. And he's continued to play well uh, this spring as well, can you hit for power. And then Nick Madrigal, you know, has, you know, the reputation of having, you know, the best bat on ball skills of anybody, you know, any prospect in baseball and came up and hit 340 and barely struck out at all last year, played about half the season. And, you know, he's again, you know, in, in a short sample size and in, in spring training, done the same thing. Uh, so it was, it was kind of interesting. I didn't even realize that until I was looking at the list again, that, you know, we kind of grouped all three of those guys, you know, if you were, if you were banking on past big league performance, those guys all have about as strong a resume as you can have as a rookie. You know, considering that if you play too much, you you aren't going to qualify. A couple of names that uh, were considered but didn't make it into the top ten list are guys who have not played in the big leagues yet, but you know are, are elite prospects. And Jared Kelnick and Wander Franco, uh, those are a couple of guys who, despite the fact that they're not opening the season on the opening day uh, opening day roster, uh, we do expect to see them, and you guys do expect that for them to make an impact this year. When we come back, we're going to talk about them and some other big-name prospects who we're not going to see right off the bat, but we do expect to see them this year, and we're going to talk about when you can expect to see them. That's coming up right here on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. This past year has shown us that without your health, you have nothing. 
If you're not well, you can't work, look after yourself, or take care of your family. You can't enjoy the life you've worked so hard to build. That's why you need to prioritize taking care of your long-term health today, before it goes from good to bad to worse. So invest in your long-term health with Forward. Forward is intelligent medicine with a personal touch. Their doctors are dedicated to catching top killers like cancer and heart disease early before it's too late. And catching them early could save you tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. Everyone's health history is different, which is why Forward doctors personalize a health plan with you based on your genetics, lifestyle, and biometrics to achieve long-term results and ensure nothing gets missed. It's time to invest in a doctor that's invested in you. Go to GoForward.com today to protect your future health. That's GoForward.com. GoForward.com. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Sam Dykstra. Uh, we've been talking about prospects that are on opening day rosters. Now we're going to talk about some who did not make opening day rosters, but we do expect to see in the 2021 season, and we do expect to make an impact. And uh, these are some of the biggest names in prospectum, um, starting at the very top with Wander Franco of the Rays. You know, I... I don't know that anyone realistically expected him to make the team out of spring training. Um, there was, you know, there was even some buzz last year in the postseason. He was on, you know, he was uh, could have been uh, added to to the postseason roster, and you know, he was available. Uh, but we're not going to see him at the beginning of the season. And then Jared Kelnick, uh, there was, I think, a lot of disappointment uh, after a strong spring that he didn't make the team. Uh, and then Bobby Witt Jr. also uh, turned a lot of heads during spring training, but not making up the uh, not making the uh, Royals opening day roster. And then Elliot Ramos of the Giants, who may have had the best spring of any of these guys, another guy who we expect to see in 2021. Sam, you want to take a couple of these guys? Yeah, so so I'll start with Wander Franco and, and Jared Kelnick, the two guys we mentioned at the end of the last segment in terms of people who kind of just missed um, our preseason rookie power rankings. Um, I, I expect both of these guys to to come up by, you know, the end of May. Um, even Kelnick could come up earlier than that. I know he had a knee injury this spring that certainly held him back. And um, But when he was on the field, he was as dominant as we expected, you know, given the reports that were coming out of the alternate training site last year. Uh, it would have been a lot more interesting to follow the Mariners left field job had he been fully healthy. Taylor Trammell, full credit to him, winning the job outright. Um, but Kelnick is the better talent through and through. Um, you know, Trammell showed a little bit of better hitting ability than we last saw him, but that's over a small sample. What's going to happen to him against major league pitching? We're going to have to wait and see on that one. But I think Kelnick, given the tools that he has now that his health is fully back, I'm expecting him, you know, by mid-May at the latest, it could be possibly April, uh, Franco, like the the Rays are set right now at shortstop. That's his primary position. They gave him a little bit of time at third base. I know it's a little bit of a cliche to say a guy needs to work on his defense before he makes the majors, but they do need to find a spot for him, for sure. Uh, you know, you talk to some evaluators. Some people think he could play second. Some people think he could play third. Some people think you know he is shortstop long term. Well, you know he's not going to 
play second base with the Rays right now. Third base might be the option for him, but he needs to get reps in there, specifically game reps. Um, so we know the bat will play right now. Uh, even if you look at the spring numbers, I know they weren't particularly great, but we saw him flashes, uh, you know, what we've seen out of him before. Uh, so him, you know, just entering his 20s is, is a big deal. Uh, but I, I think he'll probably be up by May. I think he's going to get 400 plate appearances in the majors this year. That might be aggressive on my part. Um, but again, the Rays needing to to at least tread water or take another step after being in the World Series last year. The Yankees only got better uh, or are going to be better this year, I think. And the Blue Jays definitely got better. They're going to need all the talent they can get, and they can't keep the, the game's best prospect at AAA Durham for too long uh, and let him you know, potentially do what Vlad Jr. did a couple of years ago and, and flirt with 400 uh, without helping the Major League team. So I'm expecting him up by May. Uh, it'll be exciting when both of these guys get there. Obviously, they're they're both top ten prospects for good reason. Uh, but you know, they they didn't quite get the job done this spring in Kelnick's case because of the injury. But that doesn't mean it's going to be long before we see them at the top level. You know, and with the guys who are who are you know younger and a little further away, I, I'll be honest. I, I don't know what to make of when Bobby Witt's going to arrive. Bobby Witt Jr. is going to arrive in in the big leagues because. As spectacular as he was in spring training, he hasn't played above rookie ball. And you look at the Royals, and they're they're hoping to contend this year. And they have a lot of hopes for Adalberto Mondesi, who's their shortstop. They're, they just gave a long-term contract extension, I believe, to Hunter Dozier, who's at third base. Whit Merrifield's at second base. So I'm not sure who he would displace in the lineup. You know, the, the old cliche about you wouldn't call a guy up to, to not play regularly, a prospect like that, um, I, I think holds true. So he, Bobby Witt Jr. may be a little dependent on what happens at the big league level. Maybe if the Royals fall out of contention, maybe if they make a trade, maybe somebody gets hurt. But as it stands right now, I, I don't know even if he made the team where they would play him right now. You know, maybe they... You know, they, they have some outfield questions, so maybe you, you bump somebody to the outfield to make room for Bobby Witt Jr. Um, I, I really feel like his ETA is probably dependent, too, on how he performs. My my guess, I don't know if they've – do we know where he's going to start the year yet? I mean, I, it's early, but, I mean, I, I could see high A or double A. Maybe if he really tore it up, he'd force the issue. But if he just – you know, if he, if he doesn't tear it up right away, you know, we may not see him at all this year. Yeah, I, I, what do you guys think? Sam, when do you think we might see him? Uh, I have him down for June right now. Uh, the Royals have been aggressive in sending guys up. We saw this last year with Brady, Brady Singer and Chris Bubich. I know those guys are pitchers, um, but you know they they were aggressive even in sending Bobby Wood Jr. to the alternate site last year. Uh, what you're saying about positional availability is a is a good point because uh, I, I don't know exactly where he's going to slot in right now. But the way he was hitting last year at the alt site, and you can take it or leave it because it was kind of behind closed doors, but the way he was hitting uh, this spring as well, what was it, a 484-foot home run? I mean, you don't do that by accident. Uh, so I, I think it's it's by June when you're talking about where he could open up the year. Double A feels right to me just because of his age. Um it even wouldn't surprise me if he went to Triple A because there's certainly some smoke that he was in real consideration for a major league spot. But Double A seems to make sense, and guys getting called up from Double A is is nothing new. I mean, we saw guys called up from High A even last year, which I know was a weird year, but guys have made that jump before. So Double A seems to make sense for me for him to start out. But I, it wouldn't surprise me if he's not there for 
a month, a month and a half before he moves up. Yeah. And we'll see. I'll be curious to see. Cause like I said, I think he needs to perform too. Cause it, you know, it's it, again, you know, and when, you know, if the Royals drop out of the race, maybe that changes things too. Maybe they make some trades, you know, with, with Ramos, you know, it's interesting. You know, he got to double eight at the end of 2019. Then he went to the fall league, didn't have a great fall league. So going into last year, I would have thought, okay, you know, he's not particularly close. Hasn't even played that much in double A. You know, maybe you start 2020 in double A. Looked really good this spring. You know, and I think the Giants are more fluid. They've kind of hung around the the fringes of contention the last couple of years, um, you know, without, you know, necessarily having a great record. You know, they've been in, in, in the wild card race. They, they've hung around. And, you know, their outfield's kind of unsettled. You know, they have Mauricio Dubon, I think, right now is penciled in as their center fielder. He, to me, he, I, I like Dubon, but I think he's more of that super utility guy who plays all over the place. I don't know that he's your your classic center fielder. I, I don't know that Ramos is a long-term center fielder, but he has played there a decent amount in the minors. Um, and I think, you know, maybe he gets a shot to play there. You maybe if Alex Dickerson falters, um, you know, who's, you know, he's had some nice production for the Giants, but, you know, his, his career has been a little up and down. You know, Ramos could force his way in there you know, by mid season. But, you know, I, I think with him, the opportunity is a lot more ripe than it is for, for Bobby Wood Jr. It's also the possibility that if, you know, the, the Giants don't have a, you know, they have guys, you know, Donovan Solano had a great year last year that nobody saw coming. But what if he regresses? Maybe Dubon goes to second base and that opens up a spot. So I think with, with Ramos, that there's a decent amount of opportunity there that there aren't a whole lot of guys who are, you know, rock solid, not going anywhere in the Giants lineup right now. All right. So keep an eye out for that story. Uh, Sam's going to look ahead and project uh, when we'll see not just these guys, but a bunch of other prospects throughout the season as well. Another series of stories that uh, Sam did that you can find on MLB.com slash pipeline now. Uh, after we did our overall farm system rankings, Sam ranked the farm systems based on just their position prospects, uh, did one ranking of the top 10 based on just pitching prospects, and then one based just on 21 and under talent. Uh, let's start off with the position players. Uh, that list is led by the team that was number one in the overall farm system rankings, the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, number two, the Giants. Number three, the Mariners. Number four, the Tigers. Number five, the Pirates. Number six, the Twins. Number seven, the D-backs. Number eight, the Orioles. Number nine, the Braves. And number 10, the Padres. Uh, Sam, tell us a little bit about this list. Yeah, so putting the Rays at number one, I, I don't think is going to shock anybody, uh, given you know their top 100 talent and just how deep they are. Uh, you know, I, I remember talking to Jonathan about this, and he was saying, like, you go one to 30 with that group, and you, you don't find somebody you look at and say like, okay, that's somebody I don't like. Uh, it's really hard to find that, at least on the position player side, for the Tampa Bay Rays in their top 30. So they were an easy number one. The one I want to highlight, though, of this group was the Giants at number two, because I know the Giants did not appear in the top 10 overall uh, farm system rankings. I think they just finished outside at number 11. But a big reason why they are even that close is because of this position player group. And I'm not just talking about Marco Luciano, Joey Bart, Elliot Ramos, who we've already talked about, and Hunter Bishop, their top 100 contingent, although that is a big reason why they are here. Luciano in particular, I feel like can be 
the game's top overall prospect maybe a year from now after some graduations. We'll see. And after he actually gets some full season experience. But that next group, to me, is also pretty special. Uh, Patrick Bailey, their first-round pick. Luis Matos, Alexander Canario, Luis Toribio. These are all guys who could make that jump into top 100 territory once they get experience. And that's what I tended to like when I was putting these position player groups together is it's not just top 100 talent. It's that next level. Like who can we look at and say, hey, this could be an even deeper group a year from now and, you know, is right on the cusp of that. And that that certainly, you know, gave the Giants a little bit of an advantage here over the Mariners at number three, for example, who we know they have two of the best position player prospects in the game in Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez. That's going to give you a lot of clout, but it falls off a little bit quicker there. So in putting these together, I think the Giants are a perfect example of this. It's not just top 100 talent, but it's depth. How far do you have to go before you start to question, is this guy going to be a major leaguer or an exciting major leaguer? The Giants, even though the overall system isn't as strong as, as maybe it could be, this position player group is the definition of strength, just missing the top spot by the Rays, who, again, consensus, easy number one. You could put them in ink without even thinking about it. Yeah, and I was going to say it's funny because when Sam started doing this and he, and he was running the list biased, he was explaining the Giants and and it was almost like uh, like Jerry Maguire. Like, it's like you had me at hello. It's like I, I do our Giants list and I told Sam, you don't have to sell me on the Giants because like everything he just said, I totally believe in. I, I think they're one of the most upwardly mobile systems. Uh, I think they're going to be a top 10 system next year. The hitters, they have more hitting depth than pitching depth. But if Kyle Harrison continues to look as good as he did and they have some other guys come on, I really like Seth Corey. Um, I think that's going to be a top 10 farm system. And, uh, you know, I, I, I like the order. You know, it, it's, you know, I made some suggestions to him. And one thing, Sam at the end knows some teams he just missed. And, I, like, I think the Indians, if you were just doing pure depth, might have as much pure depth as almost anybody but just so many of their guys haven't played full season ball or haven't played above low A that I wouldn't be surprised. Like I, I know when we were talking about systems as a whole, I said, I think we'll see the Indians in the top 10 next year. It really wouldn't shock me if the Indians are like two or three on this position player list when we're doing it again in 2022, because most of their guys are, are not going to make it to the big leagues this year. And I think they're going to raise their profiles when they get a chance to play full season ball this year. All right, let's move on and look at the, list of the top 10 farm systems by pitchers. Uh, this list is led by the Tigers at number one. The Marlins are number two. The Rays, there they are again, number three. Number four, the Mariners. Number five, the Royals. Number six, the Blue Jays. Number seven, the Orioles. Number eight, the Padres. Number nine, the White Sox. And number 10, the Yankees. So Sam, we see some of the same teams that were on the hitting list, and obviously those teams uh, by virtue of being on both lists, were very high in our overall rankings, but also several teams here that we did not see on on the list of uh, top ten hitting organizations. Yeah, and I, I think the highest one, well, the highest one that we didn't have on the position player list that was definitely on my just missed was the Marlins. Uh, the Marlins at two. That that doesn't mean like I don't like the position player group in the Marlins. Obviously, there's lots to like there, but. Uh, you know, we, we talked about Sixo Sanchez and, and Max Meyer. They added as a first rounder last year. And Edward Cabrera had taken some leaps in the, in the last couple of years. Sound like he could have made a major league debut last year, if not for some injury issues. I know he's going through them again this year. But even then, again, you go deeper and Braxton Garrett, Trevor Rogers, who we've already talked about, have already made their major league debuts. They have first round pedigrees. They were a little bit of 
surprises to make the majors last year, but for the most part, in terms of stuff, they, they showed they belong. And that's not something you're going to find in these other groups. Uh, putting the Tigers at number one, are, are they as deep necessarily? Like when I looked at how many pitchers are in the top 30 prospects, there are only eight of those pitchers are ranked among their top 30. So the Tigers are fairly deep when it comes to position players. Um, but when you have Mize at number 11 and Scooble at number 24 and, and Manning at number 25, like you have the core of your rotation, your future rotation, it, our top 25 prospects like that is just so rare. And I know you guys have talked about that on this show before um, that that next tier is pretty close to me for the Rays, the Mariners and the Royals sorting those out. We're, we're a little bit closer again, the Rays. I, I just like their depth a little bit more, um, but the Royals, they have invested heavily in pitching. Uh, you know, if Singer and, and Bubich hadn't graduated last year if they didn't get aggressive and, and push those guys to the majors last year or if they had come up halfway through the season necessarily and not graduated um, they could have been certainly in the top four maybe even in the top three uh, but the Royals you know just have really invested in, on the pitching side hoping one day to have a homegrown rotation of their own to match the Tigers in that AL Central um, them getting Aza Lacey last year was, was I think a a bit of a steal for them uh, in the draft. Uh, so yeah, while Bobby Witt Jr. is stealing so many headlines on the position player side, it's really the pitching that I would pay attention to for the Royals because that is going to form the core of what they're trying to build uh, for the next contender, you know, in, in Kansas City and, and what they're going for there. Um, the looking at the back half of the list, I think the toughest decision for me was number ten uh, with the Yankees. You know, Jim and I went back and forth on this. I think just yeah, the Yankees have Clark Schmidt. That's only one top 100 prospect for them. He's at number 88. Uh, Davey Garcia, former top 100 prospect. He's right on the cusp there. I know he's been in a spring battle for a rotation spot. Sounds like he's going to be on the outside looking in, but he's right there. Um, but they have just a bevy of hard-throwing young pitchers. And when they're already throwing this hard and, and the Yankees do such a good job of bringing out the velocity in their pitchers, it's a lot easier to dream on – this batch of Yankees pitching prospects than it is those groups that just missed, which for, for me were Cleveland and Atlanta. Um, true to what Jim was saying before about the Cleveland position players, you could certainly say about the pitchers here as well. There is a good amount to dream on with Daniel Espino, Ethan Hankins, Josh Wolf, who they just got from the Mets uh, and Tristan McKenzie, who just made the majors uh, as well. So it is a fairly deep system, but I think just the Yankees have a little bit, more there and given the youth in that system it's easier to see how they're going to develop homegrown pitching but you could put you know cleveland the yankees and the atlanta braves any of those groups could have gone 10 and and i would have slept well at night putting this list together i liked you putting the yankees 10 sam and again i I do the yankees and, and i feel like the yankees do as good a job as anybody in helping pitchers add velocity and increase spin rate and just develop sharper and better stuff. Um, you know, Luis Hill and Luis, Luis Medina are guys who, you know, have only pitched in the lower minors. Medina, you know, kind of broke out this winter. They just have unbelievable stuff. And one of my favorite sleepers in, in any system anywhere, I just love TJ Sycamore coming out of the 2019 draft. Uh, you know, left-handed pitcher, just you know, his feel – he, he might have had the best feel for pitching in the 2019 draft. He might have had the best competitive makeup in the 2019 draft. And I think he's going to be a quick to the big leagues guy who might have been knocking on the door 
early this year had we had a 2020 season. So I liked all those. And one question I had when I, when when you were doing these and I, and I was looking at them is it seems like it's easier to find 10 hitting systems, you know, and, and even beyond 10 than it is to find 10 pitching systems. Do, do you usually find that the case or am I just reading something into that that you, that you don't see? I, I feel like this year was actually harder um, than when we've done this in the past uh, over at MILB.com. Like the, what you're saying is dead on true. Like this year, it was so much easier to put together 10 position player systems, cutting the Blue Jays and the Marlins and the Indians, like you said, was particularly hard for me. Whereas the pitching group, it, it felt like, you know, sneaking on the White Sox there because they have Kopech and Crochet is like, okay, I, I guess I have to. Uh, the Yankees, uh, you know, again, we had back and forth debate that we just laid out, but um, it was significantly easier to do position players this year. I think that's just a this year thing. I don't, I can't give you a reason for why that is. Like, I don't, I don't think pitching's down across the minors or anything like that. Um, just for whatever reason, this year it was easier to put together position players. All right, and the final farm system ranking that Sam did is the top ten farm systems based on just 21 and under talent and uh, no surprise at all that the rays are at the top of this list uh, with their under 21 phenom wander franco the number one prospect in baseball Uh, rays are followed by the mariners diamondbacks giants indians pirates padres tigers royals and mets yeah, and, and this one I think is a lot of fun to do because it's just a different way of looking at the game. The reason we do 21 uh, for the age cutoff here, and again, it's 21 and under. So anybody who is 21 years of old, 21 years old uh, on Major League Opening Day, April 1st this week, or younger qualifies for this list. Uh, and the reason I do that is because it does include some draft picks from last year. You will get some guys who are taken as college juniors get to qualify for this. And also 21 just feels like a good cutoff for prospects. 22 years old, you should be competing for the majors. 21, it feels like you're usually in the mid-minors um, and you're still on the young side for sure. So that just to get into the logistics of that real quick. But I think this three, four, five section is what stands out for me because the Rays at one is is fairly obvious. The Mariners at two was also fairly obvious because Kalanick and Rodriguez still qualify for that that list. But the D-backs, Giants, and Indians, I think it are the three systems that I have circled to make leaps uh, in 2021 for sure. Now, the D-backs have you know, what we would call kind of their own big four, uh, really, all of whom qualify for this list, um, which, you know, is a boon for them. But Corbin Carroll, Christian Robinson, Geraldo Perdomo, Alec Thomas, all 21 years or younger. That That is a big deal for them. I thought the D-backs were going to turn into a top five system last year. We just didn't get the minor league season for that to happen. So them putting putting them at number three here is an indication of where they could go once we actually get minor league baseball back. Um, the Giants, we've, we've talked about plenty here. Um, again, it, it's just that young core led by Luciano at the top um, that's going to get them there. And the Cleveland system, um, you know, not to get too deep into it, but just some of the names that I also like there who still qualify for that list and aren't top 100 names that we're talking about all the time yet. George Valera is right on the cusp. Um, I think he just needs to get full season action. He's 20 years old right now. Uh, Gabriel Arias, they brought over from the Padres system, uh, could be, you know, potentially someday take over Tyler Freeman as the best shortstop in that system. We'll see what happens there. Uh, I do favor Freeman for sure, but Arias 
has that possibility. Um, the young pitching core of Espino and Hankins qualify. Brian Rocchio, Aaron Bracco, these are top 100 caliber players. They, again, just need playing time. And the fact that Cleveland has so many of these guys, particularly from the international market, but some through trade, some through the draft, it's a, it's a diverse group of the way they've acquired them, speaks to the system that they're building here. And you know, if you were a Cleveland fan looking at the Francisco Lindor trade this offseason and say, okay, well, it's going to be a while until we compete again. By the time all these guys are up, uh, you know, we could be talking about the Cleveland system as the best in baseball someday if, uh, if these guys continue down this track and they continue to develop well. And we've seen what they can do with pitching, uh, you know, adding velocity to guys, turning Shane Bieber in, from a control artist into the best pitcher in the American League, potentially. Um, so there's a lot of reasons to dream on on the Cleveland system and putting them here at five is an indication of that and where they could go uh, from here. Just some throwing out some other teams on the just missed list. We talked about the Yankees. Reason why I like their pitching was because of the youth and where they could grow. Uh, the Jays just missed some big names on that list. Jordan Groshans standing out to me. And then the Cardinals uh, were also on the just miss because, you know, boyhood best friends, Nolan Gorman and Matthew Libertor uh, qualify. It, it the depth falls off there for me, but the fact that they have two prominent top 100 prospects at least gets them on the list. Um, anything else stand out to you about this group? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, you, the, the, the point, the, the, the number one point I, I thought was the point you made about the teams at three, four, five being upwardly mobile. And, and the team I'll be interested to see, or the system I'll be interested to see what happens with them in 2021 is the Mets. You know, we have them. I think they're the lowest ranked overall farm system on this list. The vast majority of their prospects because of graduations and trades are all under 21 guys. They have four top 100 prospects who are under 21. You know, Francisco Alvarez could, could emerge as one of the very best catching prospects in baseball. Um, I mean, he is, but you know, he'll, he'll, he'll get to play at higher levels. Ronnie Mauricio is really intriguing. You know, Matthew Allen has a chance to be, you know, one of the best pitching prospects in baseball. I love Brett Beatty's back coming out of the draft. They, they have a lot to prove, but it'll be interesting to see if the if the Mets can, can make a push up our farm system rankings, you know, with these young guys leading them. You're listening to the MLB Pipeline podcast. Jim Callis, Sam Dykstra, and I'm Jason Ratliff. And now we are going to talk a little bit about the draft. And every time we've done that, it has centered around Vanderbilt right-handers Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter. And until they give us reason not to do that, I guess we're just going to keep doing it. They faced Mizzou. Rocker did not have his best stuff, but he still went out and got the win, gave up only one earned run, six innings, five hits, two runs, one earned, two walks, five strikeouts. Um, that was in game one of the series. But the big the big story, obviously, um, for those of you who are paying attention to this, was the fact that Leiter, coming off of a, what was it, 17-strikeout no-hitter, um, came back and no-hit the Tigers over seven innings. Um, he was at 101 pitches. He had thrown what, – what was it in his no-hitter? Do you guys remember? It was like I think it was like 124 pitches. And, yeah, and you're right. exaggerating. He had only 16 strikeouts in that. Oh, I'd say. He, he doesn't need my help. Uh, but 10 strikeouts, two walks. They pulled him. Um, they got – the Commodores got within an out of the no-hitter, ended up – as is often the case, losing the no-hitter and the shutout. Um, but these guys continue to just put up remarkable numbers. They are both 6-0. and 0. Uh, 
Uh, Lighter has a 0.25 ERA. Rocker has a 0.73 ERA. Lighter has struck out 59 in 36 innings. Rocker has struck out 53 in 37 innings. Uh, something I didn't notice until I looked at their season stats uh, today is that Lighter has not allowed an extra base hit this year. But, uh, Jim, I know, you know we've we've talked uh, about these guys for at least four, maybe maybe more weeks in a row now, and they just keep doing it. And uh, there's so much buzz about these guys. I know you are currently uh, in the beginning stages of working on a story that uh, is comparing these two guys. Um, and I don't know how much you want to get into that. Um, but uh, where do we stand now? I mean, I think it, if we were to – I'll approach it from a different angle. I don't know if there's ever been two pitchers on the same college staff – as hyped as these two guys. And part of that is it's a lot easier to hype a guy now. I mean, there's, there's pitching ninja on Twitter. There's, you know, much more video available. You can watch, I think almost all these games on the sec network or whatever. So it's easier to hype guys. There's, there's more visual evidence you can share with people. It's easier to consume that stuff. But you know, like the, the last two guys who were a, a sensation like this, were, were Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer uh, on UCLA in, in 2011. And Trevor Bauer won the Golden Spikes Award and Garrett Cole was number one overall pick in the draft. Um, and I would submit that those guys were better prospects than Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter. But Rocker and Leiter just blown them away with the hype. And I mean, especially, you know, Jack Leiter. And you know, I, think, I think it was a pretty easy decision for Tim Corbin to make the Vanderbilt coach, you know, I mean, Jack Leiter, you know, he's a six foot right-hander. He pitched, you know, 15 or 16 innings last year. He pitched high school the year before that. He didn't pitch either summer. So you're going to want to keep his innings workload, his pitch counts under control. I mean, we're only a third of the way into the season, you know, assuming that Vanderbilt goes to Omaha. So I think it made sense to pull him after seven innings, but, um, you know, because he'd thrown 101 pitches after throwing 124 the week before. But if if Jack Leiter is going to go out and not, allow a hit ever again, that's only going to add to the hype. And, and, you know, I mentioned this last week, I think what's been impressive to me, I mean, as if you need more reason to be impressed when Jack Leiter's not giving up hits, you know, in back-to-back starts is the fact that after walking a guy every other inning in his first four starts of the year, as well as last year's freshman, he's given up three walks in his last 16 innings. You know, one of those was the first batter he faced against South Carolina and then he got the next 27 guys out. And so he's being, you know, more efficient. He's pounding the zone. And, and the one takeaway I get from talking to scouts, this gets repeatedly mentioned, is that Jack Leiter can get swings and misses in the strike zone with his fastball. You know, he doesn't have Rocker's pure velocity. Um, usually, you know, Rocker's velocity was down a little bit this weekend, 90, 91. For the most part, it, it was cold. You know, you know, lighter sits kind of 92, 93, which is, you know, average velocity on the, on the scouting scale. But he's got carry to it. He's got command to it. And guys just don't don't hit his fastball. And, you know, it, it's funny, you know, going back to high school when Jack was, well, I remember when we, we saw Jack at the Under Armour game, I broadcast that game. I guess that would have been... 2018 going into a senior season, he was kind of you know, more of an upper 80s guy. And really the curveball was his pitch, but really it's his fastball, I think, that has been his most effective pitch and not just because of velocity. He's kind of proving that, you know, there, there's more to just velocity 
that, that makes a, a special fastball and his has been special recently. And, you know, rocker, you know, it's interesting. You know, my takeaway would be, yeah, he was 90, 91 against Mizzou, but he still gave up, you know, one earned run in six innings. And he was pretty efficient with his pitches too. He 92 pitches in six innings, only two walks. Um, you know, he, he'll be fine. I mean, I, I think, the one thing with the, you know, it feels like every week we're trying to pump the brakes on the hype train a little bit. And, and yet we talk about them every week too, is that we're only a third of the way through the season. So, you know, these guys, you know, as to who's going to go where and who's better in the draft, a lot of it's going to determine on with, with Rocker, you know, how well does that third pitch come along? How well does the command come along? You know, he gets a lot of swings and misses on fastballs. The guys chase at the top of the strike zone. Are are you going to be comfortable that that's going to happen against advanced big league hitters as often? And with lighter, I think the biggest thing will be, can he maintain his stuff? You know, he's not the most physical guy. And like I pointed out, he hasn't doesn't have a huge record of you know, a lot of innings the last two years just because of, you know, he was in high school and and then because of the pandemic. So, I mean, that, that's going to be important to watch with him. They both have thrown more strikes recently. And, you know, they'll get to prove themselves in the SEC, which is the best conference in college baseball. And, you know, you know I am working on that story. And as we've discussed, the answer when that story runs, you know, in the early part of April – may not be the same answer as to who's better when the draft rolls around in, in July. We, you know, we still have three months to go. All right. We will continue to keep an eye on these two, Rocker and Lighter, of course, and also uh, keep an eye out because we will be expanding our top draft prospects list from 100 to 150. That'll be coming up in the next few weeks, so keep an eye out for that. Let's move on to the mailbag and wrap this thing up. We got a question from Sam Nyland at Sam underscore Nyland, who says, starting to hear similar rumblings about Michael Harris as Braves fans did about Acuna when he caught fire in the minors. Reports justified as to his ceiling? Yeah, I mean, I think his ceiling's pretty good. You know, I can't remember which player Sam was touching on earlier in the podcast when he made the comment that, you know, the guy didn't have a chance to, to go out and play in 2020 and, and, and show what he could do. And and I think that's that's Michael Harris. Um, you know, he, he was interesting because when we were working on the draft in 2019, he was in Georgia, which is one of my states. And coming into the year, he was more of a pitcher. You know, he didn't go to a lot of showcases, but he was an athletic lefty. Not not the biggest guy in the world, but it was 89-93, decent secondary pitches, really intrigued guys. And as the spring went on, guys got more excited about the bat. They thought he was one of the better hitters in, in the state of Georgia. That, that was the C.J. Abrams year in, in Georgia. They liked the power potential. He had you know, showed some solid speed. Um, I actually, you know, going back to a guy we touched on briefly earlier in the podcast, gotten a Akil Badu kind of rough comp on him um, at the time. And so, you know, he was interesting. Uh, the Braves, you know, worked him out, really liked his bat, took him in the third round, you know, pretty high for a guy who wasn't on our top 200 prospect list. And then he went to the, the Gulf Coast League and, and tore it up for a month. So much so that even though he was 18, the Braves promoted him to low A, which you don't see many high schoolers get to in their first season in pro ball. Um, you know, we didn't see that with, you know, we were talking about Bobby Witt, you know, who was older. We didn't see that with Bobby Witt. And you know, he just didn't get a chance to play last year. I, I think if he played last year, he, he had a good chance to maybe tear up, you know, a ball and, and, you know, would have really raised his profile. And he did come to, you know, he's, he's had some highlights in spring training. He, he's, you know, offensively and defensively. He looks like a pretty exciting guy. 
Um, you know, I, I think if he goes out and performs like he's capable of, Sam, I, I think this guy could be a top 100 prospect maybe in, in 2021. He, you know, he hasn't done it yet, but he does have that kind of ceiling. No, definitely. And, and I think part of the reason why we get a question about him is that he is a Georgia guy. He is playing in the Atlanta system. I get that. There's a lot of excitement there. The Braves have been as aggressive as they can be for a, a guy who was drafted a couple of years ago, didn't get a minor league season last year. Um, I know they played him a little bit at the, the major league park when they had exhibitions there before the season last year. Um, in the stack cast data, we were able to get from that game. He had at least one hit, I think with a, or at least one batted ball with an exit velocity above hundred miles an hour. So the tools are there. We just need to see them on a more consistent basis for sure. Um, the fact that they, Put him at, at low A Rome uh, in his draft year is certainly indicative of what they thought of him coming out of the draft and how aggressive they could get with him. We'll see where it's going to go now. If you're looking at what his best tools are right now, it's it's the run tool, it's the arm. As a former pitcher, that makes sense. Um, so that's where, probably where he's going to be the most dam- do the most damage right now. Uh, but as he gets to see more pitching and, and becomes less raw, top 100 prospect is certainly well within uh, the realm of possibility for him. Um, but when you look at the Braves list as it stands right now, I mean, the guys above him, uh, Davidson, De La Cruz have, have seen the majors, Contreras has, uh, Shea Langoliers you know, is a first-round pick. There, there's just guys who are closer to the majors, have more experience, at, at least on the college side or on the pro side, have established that base level. But I wouldn't be surprised if – in a couple of years from now, we are looking at this list and being like, yeah, Harris should have been in that mix with Pache and Anderson at the top. All right. Our thanks to Sam Nyland for that question. And our thanks to Sam Dykstra for joining us on the podcast today. That is going to be a wrap for this week's MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, please leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.